play the recorder with high cross buns. From fourth grade. <laughs> uh, yeah. So if that is required. That's but, Hello and welcome to the second season of the MBA Thought Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Bree Bragg, here today with my co-hosts, Zach Wheeler and Lisa Zimmer. In our interview today, we'll be talking to Carla Walker. She's a consultant and works all around the city of Cincinnati with different organizations, including sister cities. Our podcast today was recorded at the 1819 Innovation Hub, a collaborative space where local businesses can partner with university resources and talent. If you'd like to learn more about 1819, go to www.uc1819.edu. All right, I'm super excited about today's guest. Thank you, Carla, for being on today. Thank you for having me. Great. Carla, your background is so impressive and extensive. I was nervous introducing you that I would mess it up. So I would love if you just took a moment here, maybe talk through your professional career and educational career or what led you to where you are today. Okay, so I currently have my own consulting shop. It's called Think Big Strategies. And it is quite um, difficult to introduce me because um, my career has been has taken a couple of different paths mm -hmm. and I like to think that with Think Big Strategies the work that I do in terms of strategic planning and strategic communications kind of bundles that all together some kind of way neatly at least in my head it does. Uh, I started Think Big Strategies in 2010 I left my post as the chief of staff to Mayor Mallory with this idea that all the work that I was doing in government, working with businesses, nonprofits, some communities on a variety of different topics, I could do that same kind of work, but without the kind of government overlay of it, right? Or restriction in some case. Mm -hmm. so, um, so I left my post and started uh, consulting. Um, my background, educationally, is not at all related or anywhere near what you guys are doing in terms of MBAs. Like, I'm not an MBA. That's not my background. I have a bachelor's in biology and microbiology and a little bit of chemistry um, from UC. Then I followed that up with some courses at um, Johns Hopkins because I was really interested in environmental issues. I still am. Um, I followed that up with uh, like a certificate course there when I was living in um, Washington and Baltimore. Um, and at that point, I was actually beginning my career and I was working as an environmental consultant in um, one of the consulting agencies around the um, Beltway. At the time, they had these horrible this horrible way of referring to those consulting groups. They were always called the Beltway Bandits. Um, nonetheless, uh, so I was very interested in, in environmental issues. And I took this course at Johns Hopkins and I thought, you know, with the work that I'm doing in order to get further, 
in agency, I really needed a master's degree. So I applied to a couple of different schools, got accepted to University of Florida, which I was really excited about because the um, head of the EPA at that time, Kel Browner, had graduated from the University of Florida, and I was like, that's it. It's my straight shot. Right. Yeah. That's going to take me places. And so, plus, it's Gainesville, Florida, and I figured who would not be able to study environmental engineering under a palm tree? Like, anybody should be mm. able to do that. So I moved down there, got my master's, and then moved back to Cincinnati and got um, catapulted into politics because of the work that um, Al Gore and some of the other folks were doing at the time. And I thought that I would go into, like, back into environmental consulting, but I started really getting involved in community organizing around environmental issues, and in particular environmental justice and environmental equity and environmental racism here in greater Cincinnati along the Mill Creek and what was happening with the Mill Creek um, in communities like um, South Cumminsville and what was happening there. And so... I'm sorry, what does uh, Mill Creek mean? So the Mill Creek is um, an urban waterway here in Cincinnati. It's like a little tributary off of the Ohio. And it has uh, the distinction of being, at one point, named one of the most urban polluted waterways in the U.S. What a title. Yeah. I know. I actually, was, I actually organized that press conference when they had that designation. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so, and, and at that point, I was a volunteer with one of the community organizations. And the Mill Creek has always had uh, some major issues because of the way that it has been um, uh, cared for by a number of the municipalities that are in Mill Creek, and Mill, mm. Mill Creek has a very distinct watershed here in Southwest Ohio. Um, it is not any longer the most polluted urban waterway, as a matter of fact, yes. Um, took a long time to get that, but as a matter of fact, there are a lot of organizations that are working on bringing that back to um, a green and viable and sustainable watershed. Um, so anyway, so I was doing that work, and um, at the community level, and a friend of mine said, you should really um, get involved with Mayor Qualls' campaign. Mayor Qualls, Roxanne Qualls, was running for mayor. And I thought, okay, this sounds interesting. We sat down and had an interview, and she brought me on board as a campaign manager. And that's how I got started in my second career, which was all politics. And I went from the mayor's office to running the um, Hamilton County Democratic Party as their executive director for a couple of years. And under my belt there, I think I managed or was involved with close to 80 different campaigns, sometimes simultaneously. And um, left Cincinnati, went to Columbus, and started working at the State House, still in politics. And I got a call from Roxanne, who said, you should check out this, this course at Harvard, this program at Harvard. And I was like, OK, whatever. I don't think that's going to work out, but I'll do it because she was a mentor of mine. And I was like, okay, I'll do whatever you say. Mm -hmm. And when Harvard accepted me, I thought, okay, this is like, this, this is it. I said you golden ticket. Right. <laughs> you know? So I packed up and went back to school. 
um, which I think is kind of what my career has been. Like I do professional work until I feel like I haven't, I can't get to the next step. Mm -hmm. Then I might take a break and do something educationally to see if, what I can do to advance that, right? So I went into Harvard, um, the Kennedy School of Government for its accelerated master's program. And by that, I do mean accelerated. <laughs> so it was a year-long program with probably some of the most dynamic people from all over the world. Um, and you got to structure your program for the year. Most, most of the folks there called it the um, mid-career program, right, for folks who are kind of already had some experience under their belt. So the range of the ages was like, you know, maybe 30 to, I think we had a classmate who was maybe in her 60s. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So um, the joke that we had was that it's really not so much the mid-career program, but the mid-life career <laughs> program. We need a break, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but it was great. So I was there a year. We, I did a lot of, I figured... I have a lot of environment. I have a lot of environmental in, uh, experience. You know, I have a lot of political experience. But both of those career tracks were kind of separate, right? Um, if I were in politics, like if I were working in Roxanne's office, I was volunteering on environmental staff, environmental programs and organizations. If I wanted to do environmental work, I would be volunteering on political campaigns and what have you. And I just thought, I was living two lives. I just want to be a way to zip that up. And so Harvard became this idea of when I'm there, there's a way to pull that stuff together, knit it very well together, and then take it to the next level, which in my mind was doing international environmental um, policy, especially around um, issues and areas where there uh, are communities that are not necessarily, that are highly impacted, but are not necessarily part of the decision-making process when those policies get created. And so um, I finished, <laughs> I say all of that and laugh because I finished that program, headed out to DC, and instead of getting a, a job with one of the environmental organizations, I ended up working for Bono and doing work with his um, international, his global um, development organization, which right now is called the One, the One Campaign. Mm -hmm. And I was one of the first four or five staffers that they um, had. Um, they tagged me as being someone who could help them build their uh, field operation here across the U.S., and that's all the volunteers and everyone who kind of really gets involved in this stuff. And, um, and I actually got that position because one of the folks I worked with in an earlier campaign was hiring. So I went into D.C., started working for Bono and that team and grew their operation, developed their U.S. operations here, um, really had some incredible experiences um, and worked with some really talented wickedly smart people who are doing um, global development and looking at poverty alleviation, uh, looking at um, debt relief and what that means for different countries, um, really taking a look at how Americans understand or know or are aware of 
foreign policy, especially when it comes to how much money our um, government's budget is um, allocated for that and what that means. And if you live in rural Kentucky, can you really have a say in how the government um, designs its programs and, a, and, a, and allocates its funding for um, HIV alleviation programs in Kenya or Tanzania? And so that was quite an, an, an incredible um, opportunity. Um, and I ended up having to come back to Cincinnati and work for Mayor Mallory as his chief of staff. It was a, it was a personal decision to come back because I was having a family health crisis. My okay. dad at the time had been diagnosed with cancer. So I came back home and was helping my family deal with that that tragedy and um, in 2010 when my when I thought eh, when I was working in Mayor Mallory's office I thought oh I really kind of want to do something different you know it's funny when you're in that position like I, I was there for the first full term the first term and then maybe a year and a half of the second term and in the second term and their term limited after two, two terms in the second term it just seemed like we were rebooting the same programs and I wanted to do something next level right and it was difficult to do that so I thought I, I, I'm not sure what I want to do I want to step outside of this and um, I had no idea or concept that it was starting a business that wasn't on my radar um, uh, but my brother was saying, you should probably just go ahead and do this. You can go ahead and be a consultant. He had been a consultant, and he had been an independent um, con uh, operator for some time. And um, he was doing um, more computer technology programming stuff. And I was, like, scared to death to be the person responsible for everything. So I thought, I don't know if that's really the way to do this. I would rather do the traditional job search and... And the traditional job search in Cincinnati is quite interesting, but... Oh, we know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We could have a podcast about that. What I kept finding was that, one, while I did all of this amazing work as a chief of staff, was really back behind the scenes, which is totally my thing. Um, no one knew what a chief of staff was. They had no concept and idea, like, how much... Uh, involvement I had in pushing a number of the major initiatives in the city. So, so I had a lot of people say to me, hey, I, I thought you were his secretary, which was <laughs> quite interesting. And then I would show them my resume like with this, all of this right? education, and they'd be like, well, I don't get it. I'm like, okay. What started happening was people were finding that I was going to be leaving and that I was out in the job market, and folks who were working with me at the time were saying, I wonder if you would mind taking this offline, and actually, if you're not tied to anyone yet, we'd like you to be contracted and work with us for six months or whatever. And I was like, oh, okay. So I actually had to find out backwards, I think, how to structure and organize a a business and a consultancy and make it make it make it work and so now I'm doing it and I'm what nine years in I think yeah nine years so it's kind of exciting but different right
think a lot of our listeners or you know young professionals would be excited to hear that you have all these different career transitions in your life because I think a lot of us have big aspirations that don't always align together and I think we use education I know personally I went back to school because I wasn't sure what I want to do so we use that educational break to see where we can go next yeah and I think your story and your career is just an amazing example of that oh yeah I I thought I had a plan right right (laughs) I thought I had a plan and then it didn't work out, or it didn't work out like I thought it was going to work out. Not that it was a bad thing. I just thought I probably need to add a little bit more to it. Now, the strand behind all of that has been my passion for environmental issues. I've never lost that. I've mm-hmm. always wanted to do that. And I started out, right, when you get out of high school, you're like, what's, what's your what's your program? What are you studying? Well, I started out thinking I was going to go to med school. Mm -hmm. And that tanked quickly once I went into organic chemistry. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, that's not going to work. we got to find something else. But at the time, there was an awful lot of conversation about what was happening environmentally, especially in communities of color. And so I thought, I looked, what I actually did was I looked at the program at the time for biology and chemistry, which was what I was studying. And then I tried to find the program for environmental anything. And it was, you know, this is not, I mean, it's not that long ago, but when I was in UC, they didn't really have a whole bunch to offer. And I thought, well, I'll get this degree and I'll just kind of wing it and see what the deal is. So going back to school, on several occasions, I think actually helps on a whole bunch of different levels. Like, Mm -hmm. I started out as a consultant, an environmental consultant, right? And then I went into community organizing. Nobody teaches you how to do that, really. You know, you've got to actually be out there knocking on doors and figuring out. Then I went into politics. And even though though those folks who graduate with a political science degree Nobody teaches you how to do campaign work. You have to actually do campaign work to to understand it. And so, and that taught me a lot too, not only because you meet so many different people um, from very different backgrounds, which introduces you to like, oh, I probably should go into this, explore this a little bit. Campaigns, especially campaigns on a shoestring, you have to be the communications director, you have to be the marketer, you have to be the fundraiser, you have to be the secretary, you have to be the janitor, you have to be the person who supports the candidate, you have to be the driver, you have to, you know what I mean? So you learn all these different skills, and that's, I think that was, for me, that was quite um, a boost in terms of my career development. To kind of go back to starting your own, your own business and, um, what was that process like for you? What were some of the lessons you learned from that that maybe you could uh, part some wisdom on to our <laughs> listeners? Okay, I'm going to say something, and then your MBA professors are probably going to be like, no. <laughs> I don't think they listen to that. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so in the questions you gave me, there's that um, last one that says, like, what's, that, what's the book that influenced you the most? And my, my mother is MBA, right? Like she, she's Xavier MBA, she started a business, she was in business, 
So she gave me this book called Three Boxes of Life years ago, like even before I graduated high school. So it's just, I don't know why there are five kids in my family and I'm the one that she was drilling this stuff into. Anyways, like I said, I didn't, it was never my thing of, I'm going to start my own business or... That wasn't, yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't in my head, you know. So when I launched, right, I, I had to make a change in terms of like folks seeing me from Mayor Mallory's office into this new place that I was. Mm -hmm. Um, so Cincinnati, if you haven't already figured it out, like that was just a, I'm sure other cities are had their own little vibe, but this is weird because I worked in Mally's office as a chief of staff, Roxanne Qualls' office as her communications director, um, led the Democratic Party. So most everybody down in City Hall, I was already connected to. Um, I was connected to a lot of business people. Um, what's that thing? Um, Leadership Cincinnati for uh, that the Chamber House, Chamber of Commerce has a Leadership Cincinnati. It's like every year they take a group of leaders and they bring them together. They have programs for them like once a month, right? So I did Leadership Cincinnati and African American Leadership Development Program, which is the Leadership Cincinnati for the Urban League at the same time, while I was chief of staff. So I knew all these people, but yet, when I started asking about that job, that transition to another position in Cincinnati, no one knew what I did. So I thought, okay, if folks want to have me help them work on these complex issues, which is really what I like working on, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what my business is about. That's how I consult. Um, it's called Think Big Strategies because they're these big, gigantic, game-changing projects or initiatives that I really want to help people bring on board. But typically, the visionaries who come up with those ideas, they are not usually detail-oriented or know how those different silos interact together. When this opportunity to begin consulting came about, I thought... I've got to figure out how to let ever, other people know that this is what I'm doing. Because if if I'm in Cincinnati and the way the Cincinnati operates, once you leave City Hall and you leave that limelight, people don't hear you or see you or know you, and it's quite difficult to be in that space, mm -hmm. right? Um, so I launched, and that process was of creating Think Big Strategies included, like, really going to my mother and my father at the time and my brother at the time and saying, how do you do this? I spoke with a lot of other people and some people were like, well, you've got to take two months and write your business plan. And I was like, okay. So I started down that pathway, but then I was like, I really need to be working, right? I, I need to actually be producing something. So I never really did a business plan, which is probably like your professors will say. <laughs> Anywho, so I didn't do that, but I talked to a lot of folks. I looked at, for me, I looked at my very unique skill set of being able to um, 
actively work in an integrated fashion and see where I can help people the best. Um, I thought, well, that's how I would look and see where my clients are. I don't do a lot of PR on my own. I don't do a lot of marketing. A lot of the work I do is, the work I get is through word of mouth um, and specifically in the areas that I like to work in. So I did that and then um, I had about five, or no, four clients when I launched that came from word of mouth from me being in Mayor Mallory's office. And um, I had a launch event at one of the downtown restaurants. I invited all of my contacts from the city, from businesses and initiatives and the projects I worked with, and we were off to the races. And then this is one thing to kind of keep in mind. I mean, life always kind of happens with these things. Um, I launched May 31st, June 1. And a month later, my younger brother died. And I, at the time, when I was in Mayor Mallory's office, I was managing my dad's health issues as well as his health issues. He was in a, a car accident and um, was paralyzed. Uh, C4, C3. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so he was in a nursing home and right after I right after I announced and he helped me come up with the name, he helped me come up with like how to figure this stuff out. Um, he uh, died from his injuries and the even though I had four clients, I still did the work for those clients, but a lot of that was really, is really pretty much a blur. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until December of that year when I thought, okay, I've got to get it back on track. And um, so I did things like, okay, even before all this happened, thanks to my brother, I figured out how as a solopreneur to get QuickBooks and what that meant. And I figured out how to do invoicing and I figured out what to look for in a contract. And a lot of it was life 101 kind of educating yourself on how to be an entrepreneur. I'm sure I made a gazillion mistakes, mm -hmm. but I don't think I would be, I would have learned if I didn't make the mistakes. Do you know what I mean? It was a, uh, it's still much, very much a process. I feel like I have some things solid now, um, much more solid than I did the first two, three, four years that I was that I was operating. But it was uh, it was a bumpy, mm -hmm. non traditional um, process of getting my business off the ground, to say the least. So, do you have any recommendations for students who are looking to start something like that? The lessons you may have learned from that. I would definitely recommend having conversations with other business owners and other solopreneurs if you're going to go out on your own. Definitely talk to them and ask them the hard questions. Talk, bring, ask them if they can mentor you. Okay. I, I mentor still a lot of, of young students, but I would say definitely connect with someone and ask them the question. I would also say develop a support base because regardless of if you take the traditional route or the non-traditional route, as I mentioned in my case, life happens. And so stuff goes down and you need to have 
other people you can talk to about these things, bounce ideas off of, take you out for a wine or a beer, you know, get you focused and help you kind of move through what might be a hard or a difficult time. That support network is, is critical. Um, and then I'd say get active and involved. The whole networking thing is key. Um, not just in Cincinnati, I think in any, in any um, market, it's, it's key. Can you speak to us a little bit more about networking and what kind of social events you know, you're at or opportunities for young people to get involved in the community and, and build a network like that? Sometimes I feel like I really want to go to these networking events, but if they're called networking events, that always feels kind of cheesy to me. Can I say that? Can I say that? I'm so sorry. I, ugh. So, I feel like, and I think I got this from my mom, like, I don't feel like I necessarily need to go to a designated networking event, event to network, right? Mm -hmm. And it might be different for me because I have this old school Rolodex of folks that I know who are active. And now with social media, you know, with events that are popping up on your Instagram feed or your Twitter feed or LinkedIn, like you can find different things that are happening, events that are happening that are not necessarily um, networking events, but are events where you can go and see who's there and see who's involved and see who's a part of it. So I would definitely utilize those tools to find out what's happening. If you're beginning to think about being in business for yourself or what have you, I would also see um, there used to be a lot more of these, but I don't know what the deal was, is now with young professional groups of various organizations, right? So you may want to check out if there's a YP group at any of the Chamber of Commerce, like in the, uh, the greater, what do they call it? The Chamber of Commerce of Greater Cincinnati, I forget the proper name of it, but they have a YP group. They also have a young professional leadership program um, at the at the chamber, um, the African American, no, not their chamber. Um, Urban League has a uh, young professional leadership group. Um, you may want to check in with some of the different um, um, in in Cincinnati proper. You may want to check in with some of the elected officials that are connected to youth youth and young professional interests. Um, I always think that's kind of interesting too, especially now there's some really amazing um, dynamic political figures, young political figures in Cincinnati that are connected to a lot of other um, activities. And just going to those and again, being seen, being a part of it, um, but the next would be taking the step of joining one of those and being, you know, being on uh, an event planning committee, um, which not only is kind of like that's like a twofer, right? So you get to know different people, but other people not only see you, but they see how you work and how you deliver and produce, which is how other folks will 
begin to recommend, hey, reach out and talk to Bree or Zach or talk to Lisa because I worked with them on this event and they were phenomenal, you know. So I would say look into that. But you want to maintain that balance because it can be a, you can get, it can be a quite of a, a slippery slope. So if you've been in and out of Cincinnati your entire life, what do you, or I guess what's the best part, would you say about the Cincinnati business community or just community in general of the city? Because I think Cincinnati's gotten a lot of press lately. It's a great place to start startups and it's more affordable so people are thinking about moving here. So I would love for you just to showcase what you think your opinions of the city are. So we have probably the best parks system in, I'm gonna say in the country, I know, we still rank, but it is a phenomenal park system, which is great, especially in the spring and summer and fall for getting out and getting, um, getting you know, back to nature. I think that's, I think that's awesome. Um, other aspects, Cincinnati, for the size and per capita, it has an extremely diverse demographic. Right? We have a lot more to do in terms of connecting those demographics to one another, <laughs> but it is very diverse, right? So in the business sector in and of itself, we have the regional chamber, we have the Hispanic chamber, we have the African American chamber, we have, at one time it was two Indian chambers, we have the Chinese chamber of commerce, we have the European American chamber of commerce, which was actually one of the first EAC, uh, European American uh, Chambers of Commerce in the country. Uh, I think New York was first, and then we were the um, outpost. Um, and then, if you look within that, you've got French, German, Austrian. Um, so you've got that Europe, you know, European flair of just kind of like ethnic businesses and business interests and global business interests. We have an incredibly large Taiwanese. Um, community here, and I could go on. I, I could go on and on and on. Like we have that these nodes, if you will, that I think are really telling in terms of what creates that energy in Cincinnati. Um, so that's quite exciting. Um, we have for some time had a council and a leadership in not just the city but the county, who have been very concerned and strategic about their investment in the core of Cincinnati. Uh, now, some time ago it was just, uh, were, I don't think the investment was really uh, strategic, strategically directed. So folks now see what has to happen in downtown and OTR, as well as Pill Hill and Uptown, and then in these strategic communities around in our, in our urban core to really get that energy and excitement moving from community to community. So that's quite exciting and interesting too, right? I think we have some dynamic neighborhoods, right? And that's a selling point. It is cheaper here than in other parts of the country, right? Um, however, even now that's, I think, in terms of affordable housing is an issue here. Right. Now, if you move from D.C. to Cincinnati, you're going to be like, Psh, 
are you kidding me? A one-bedroom apartment? Right, exactly. You, know? you, just, you, gotta, you just gotta raise and... <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. But if you're moving from north side to downtown, mm-hmm. or right... Or worse, east to west, right? Exactly. Yeah. Right. You know, it's just... It's, it's such a change in terms of... I, I'm going through this now. I'm looking for uh, an apartment. And so just looking at what's available and where things are and the price points it's 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 a little much having been here for when did I get back here I got back here in 2005 mm-hmm. yeah which by the way I honestly had no plans on coming back to Cincinnati none <laughs> no. it draws you back it well, does it keeps you here it really does <laughs> it way. does it does so that's what I would say we've got a lot of assets still some work to do but definitely mm-hmm. some assets Mm-hmm. So you just highlighted some of like the great communities in the Cincinnati area. And you're also the president of the Cincinnati Sister City Association for Nazi France. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I'm not biased, I can turn there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I would just love if you would highlight why global connections are important um, culturally and in business. I think we have, well, we're in a global, we're in a global world. I mean, there it's a global economy. Um, with the internet and with the um, influx of new thoughts, we have it's 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 difficult to stay um, away from kind of other cultures and other communities and and I honestly think that learning and being a part of that and just experiencing the differences of different of cultures and how people act and respond and what they think and how they think, all of that helps us all grow, right? Um, so Sister Cities is a very, um, very fascinating platform around uh, citizen diplomacy to help develop cities, right? And I've been involved with it for probably more than 15 or 20 years. Um, I got involved and became familiar with it when I was in uh, Mayor Quazzo's office as her communications director. And and at that point, kind of saw some of the things that were happening, right? There were exchanges and a lot of students would come to the come to city hall um but i at that point i wasn't really clear on how to leverage that kind of um connectivity to advance um how the city is seen and how the city can develop it wasn't until i was in mayor mallory's office and was responsible for um redefining sister cities here in cincinnati um, that i started seeing really the value of bringing these global cultures to the fore in terms of what the city would do. And in addition to working on the sister city lo- sister city issues locally, um, I joined, or was elected actually, to the board of directors for Sister Cities International, which is the um, US-based um, parent group, if you will, for all sister cities, um, relationships across the U.S. 
And it's it, very interesting to see how Sister Cities gets played in different markets. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been a big champion of including the idea of Sister Cities as part of whatever the global strategy for development is for the city. A lot of folks see Sister Cities as just the cultural piece, but and you can attest to this because of the work that um, Cincinnati Yancey does, uh, there's also an economic component to it, right? You can develop these relationships with other cultures for cultural sake, but as if you're doing it for business sake, um, those relationships need to have culture as part of that development. And so um, I think it's critical that we, that the the city of Cincinnati starts looking at if we want to develop our business interests, whether they are large, medium, or small, there's always a way in which you can play the, the global piece. I'm going to say in particular to to the gig economy if you're talking about solopreneurs and being virtual when you're with your workspace mm-hmm. um, which I'm fortunate to be able to do that the last several years um, I could work and I do currently work I can work in Cincinnati if I'm traveling to Nancy for sister city work I can work from there with my clients not only in Cincinnati but my clients that are in the Asia Pacific um, region um, I can work with my um, my client that's in Africa. So it, we're not bound by these physical barriers any longer, or we shouldn't be. And because we're not, we really need to consider that in the strategy of how the city is going to develop at, and create that space for business businesses and entrepreneurs to kind of breathe that, you know. Um, we're not there yet. Um, there are some cities that you can take a look at, Columbus, great way of using their sister cities and connecting it with their chambers and their business interests so they can dynamically move forward. Um, it's one of the reasons why Columbus got um, selected as one of the smart cities. You know, And it's, it's just a really interesting, another business asset, this whole idea of like, where does the global piece fit in when you're looking at things? The only downside I would say about Cincinnati sister cities is that everything that we do is 100% volunteer. So in addition to managing my own consultancy, mm-hmm. I'm actually spending time actually you know, developing an organization and trying to build that organization, um, develop its, its, you know, the volunteer leadership within that and raise money for it. And it's, a, it's, a, it's very near and dear to my heart, but it's an awful lot of time. I was going to ask a little bit about how um, I, I know a big stress for whether you're working in nonprofit or volunteer uh, a volunteer type organization or starting your own business, uh, a lot of pressure around fundraising and fun and and I was wondering if you could speak maybe some advice to some young entrepreneurs who are trying to think about that piece and that piece might intimidate them right now. So you mean you mean fundraising like for me the only thankfully the only fundraising I do is for Cincinnati Sister Cities. Okay. Which is a that's a stressor. <laughs> I mean not in a bad way. I'm just saying like okay, how do we do that and all the things that you mm-hmm. have to think about for raising dollars for an organization like that. Now, on the professional side, I don't raise money for myself 
but an but IDG I don't know if there's investor. Any yeah, any inventor component to starting your when you were starting your own business. This might be. Yeah, so I don't do that. Okay. I don't do that, but I will say for folks who are like myself are going to think about part of your business strategy is service oriented where you're billable for the services you provide. Um, trying to determine your fees and what that looks like. We do that for you. I clients. do. It is. It's a struggle because you have part of you, and I think this is you know a problem that I've heard overarching in just service mm-hmm. industries is that you want to serve and you want to work yes. and you want to be doing things, and so a lot of times you'll undersell yourself. Yes. And, and it's, it's, a, it's an emotional struggle, oh, yes. I feel, creating a pricing strategy. It is, it is very difficult, but I'm sure you can speak yes. more to that. <laughs> You're not alone. <laughs> yeah, it is quite challenging. Um, what, I'm lear- what I've learned is determining my value and my worth. Mm-hmm. And what I have done is I have clients that I work with in projects that I might go after and seek. But I know that those clients already have funds or access to funds where that work is is still going to be, the, pay, the payment will still resonate with me. Then I have clients where I really want to do the work. Like they have a great heart. It's, you know, they have a great project. They are maybe not... They may be starting out. They may be startup nonprofits, which mm. have absolutely no funding, or they might have you know one or two small grants. In those situations, I figure out just what I can do to help them out, and in lieu of of payment, what we can do. So, for example, I might say in lieu of, in lieu of a full payment structure, let's put my logo on your website. Or every time you post, tag me or make sure, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So there's something, so it's almost like a barter system for those, for that level. Mm-hmm. But determining that fee structure for what you're going to do, it's, it's, it took me several years. And then there are several lessons I learned along the way, you know, which include, and I don't, I don't know why, I just didn't feel, I, I didn't feel like at the very onset of creating my business I could do this, but I did learn that I have to request a um, payment up front, a down payment up front. Mm-hmm. Didn't know I could do that. Just lesson learned. Yeah. <laughs> and when it, when it happened, when it first happened, I was like, oh my gosh, that worked. Why didn't they tell me that a year ago? Um, so that, actually structuring um, payment, um, payment uh, considerations, and late payment considerations in my contract. Um, that was very, very helpful. Um, so so it, it's, it, it's very emotional, I agree, because you, if, if you feel like you price yourself out, then you are gonna miss out on a, a, on a, on a, on a gig. But then I also feel like I have this analogy of if your plate is full, the universe has a way of removing some of those things for you. And if they're not removed, they just are not removed for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. 
So if you don't get that particular contract, it may not be what you needed at the time. Or they could end up being the wrong contract for you, which has happened for me on a couple of occasions where I thought, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to undersell and get this work in. This is a fantastic project. And then I, I, you see that in the evolution of the contract, there are leadership issues, which is why no one else had taken the contract. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's always a learning experience, though. I mean, you, I, don't think, I don't think as an entrepreneur you ever stop learning about business development. It's always kind of like, how does this work? Do I do this? Do, you know, I think it's always a learning process. So just to wrap everything up, this has been a really exciting and dynamic interview, and it's been great hearing your story. Um, if there's one piece of advice you could give to students who are you know, going through their master's or even their bachelor's degree now and getting to the end of their first round of education, or maybe their last, <laughs> you know, what would that one piece of advice be? I think I would give you the advice that was given to me by... A gentleman who I met in my political days and he came to Cincinnati to work on the Gore Lieberman campaign fascinating guy he's just amazing from DC and he would tell me all the time never give up never give in never give out that's awesome thank yeah. you so much you're welcome Carla okay, thank thanks you. again for being on my podcast today like Bree said you have such great insight for us Oh, uh, thanks. Like oh, gosh. <laughs> well, this was a bit, this has been great. My very first podcast. Yeah, this is nice. I appreciate it. What's our fourth one? Thank you again for listening to the second season of the MBA Thought Leadership Podcast. Be sure to tune in in two weeks for our next episode.